You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. It's the first of our official hot stove shows as the Major League Baseball season has come to a close with the completion of this year's World Series, a seven-game thriller between the Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Astros winning it in seven games, taking Game 7 on the road to become the new World Series champions. Coming up on this week's show, we will hear from Indians President of Baseball Operations, Chris Antonetti, talking about the Indians exercising the club options on both Michael Brantley and Josh Tomlin. Also this week, the Indians named Scott Atchison as their new bullpen coach. He's been with the Indians as both a player and a major league advance coach, but now back on the field in a full-fledged capacity as Indians bullpen coach. We will also hear from one of the radio voices of the Houston Astros, Steve Sparks, who not only filled us in on what the scene was like in Houston when the Astros arrived back home, but also the respect that the Astros had for the Cleveland Indians, even though they did not play them in the postseason. There was some concern, if they did, on how they would fare against a very good Cleveland ball club. And we'll continue with our Game of the Week segment as we get rolling with Tribe Talk right here on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. It's the first of our off-season shows now, official baseball off-season shows, uh, hot stove shows, as you will, as uh, we take you through the off-season now and, and get you to spring training, that gap that, it uh, can be difficult at times for a baseball fan who just wants to see more baseball. But uh, we take a break from game action now and and uh, talk hot stove things as uh, the Indians try and get their roster in order, their coaching staff in order. And uh, both of those things came into play a little bit this week. Just a reminder, if you want to catch us on Twitter, you can do so. At Indians Radio is our Twitter address. Also, if you don't happen to catch this show live on an Indians radio network station, you can pick it up on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store, and uh, we're right there as you look under Cleveland Indians podcasts, and our show will be right there, among others that you may want to check out as well, the great Jordan Bastion 
uh, usually a contributor, as well as Anthony Castrovince on some different shows. But Tribe Talk is in there, too. So uh, just go to iTunes, and you can pick that up, usually a, a day or two after the weekend airing of this show on the Indians Radio Network. Well, I mentioned the Indians trying to get some things squared away in terms of their roster, and they did just that on Friday afternoon, announcing that they have exercised the 2018 contract options, club options, on outfielder Michael Brantley and pitcher Josh Tomlin. Now, Brantley had a bounce-back year this year until August when the injury bug bit him again with the ankle injury that required surgery after the season prior to the injury. He hit 299 with 20 doubles, 9 homers, 52 runs driven in in 90 games played, but then missed 61 games due to a pair of stints on the 10-day disabled list, one early on and then uh, one later in the season. He did come back and see some time in the postseason, but just wasn't right with that ankle injury, and he underwent surgery shortly after the season to get that stabilized and get him ready to go for 2018. Brantley only played 11 games the season prior as well, so they're banking on a return to health for 2018 with Michael Brantley. On the other side for Tomlin, a 10-9 and season, one of five Indians pitchers to reach double figures and victories. His ERA in 26 starts was 4.98, so both Brantley and Tomlin in the fold. Indians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, met with Paul Hoynes of the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Jordan Bastion of Indians.com yesterday and uh, talked about why it made sense to pick up the options on both. Uh, as we had a chance to talk at the end of the season, both Josh and Michael have been integral parts of our team uh, for the last number of years, and we're excited to be able to have both guys uh, back with us in 2018 and hopefully help contribute to us winning a World Series. Chris, how, Chris, how you... sure are you that um, that uh, Brantley is going to be healthy for next year mm-hmm. and you know, given his recent history in the last two years? Well, there are somewhat different issues. You know, going into the season, he had some shoulder issues that really didn't affect him a whole lot for the majority of the season. And he performed at an exceedingly high level uh, in the first half and earned an all-star uh, performance based upon based – upon, or an all-star birth based upon that performance. Um, and then with his ankle – you know, he, he did have surgery on it. Uh, there's a high likelihood of success with the surgery he had performed. So we're very optimistic that Michael will be able to contribute for uh, a meaningful part of next year. And as we've seen, when he's on the field, he's a very productive player. And we think there's a good chance that he'll, he'll be on the field for the majority of next year. Chris, kind of what goes into evaluating the value of that option versus Kind of the the free you know the value on the free agent market and how much time he's I know there's a it's a pretty in depth process but can you shed a little light on this kind of what went into the thinking behind the value there Yeah I think we we go through a pretty extensive process and that's why it's you know taken us to this point to make that announcement but you know we have a series of meetings with our major league coaching staff we meet with our performance team strength and conditioning coaches athletic trainers uh, medical staff just to do an end of season review. And then, you know, at that point, we transition to some internal meetings with our front office, our senior evaluators, and, you know, and work through the information that we have to try to do the best we can to assess what we think a player might be able to contribute in the future and what value that might mean to us as a team and then how that would compare to expected alternatives. And in each of these cases, we felt that uh, it made sense to bring both Michael and Josh back on their, you know, on their 
club option values. With Tomlin, I mean, was it just I mean, when you when you look at it on the surface, you know, that seems like a no-brainer in terms of his production and and the the value of that contract. Was, did, was that an easy decision for you guys? Well, I think in both cases they're easy decisions when you think about the people and the performance and you know and look at them as individuals. But you know, our job is to look at a broader context and and think about the individual circumstances with each player and then also. Uh, the broader context with the team, but um, yeah. So to your point, the decision on Josh was you know relatively easy in the sense that you know he could, brings a lot to the team both on the field in terms of his performance and also what he what he brings in the clubhouse and where his option value was made a whole lot of sense. Is this the type of situation where he would go into spring as a starter and then just depend on the rotation? You know, maybe he could fit into the bullpen. I mean, because you have depth at the rotation right now. I think that's possible. I think the one thing we know about Josh is he's capable of contributing in a variety of roles, and he is the ultimate teammate. And the only thing he cares about is finding a way to contribute to help the team win the World Series. And you know, he'll go into camp obviously as a starting pitcher. But if we need to adjust and, and circumstances dictate that, we'll have a conversation with Josh and adjust accordingly. That's Indians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, talking about exercising the contract options on Michael Brantley and Josh Tomlin. Also this week, the Indians named a new bullpen coach. It is Scott Atchison, who pitched the final two seasons of his playing career with the Indians and then was Major League Advance coach and assistant to the coaching staff the past two seasons. Now he becomes the bullpen coach, and tribe manager Terry Francona says there was a lot to like about Scott Atchison in his new role as bullpen coach. Well, you know what? I think I think the easiest way to say it is you're 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 not betting on people, but you're you're believing in people, not necessarily the job title. I mean, I don't even know what Atch's title was the last two years, but because of his work ethic and his diligence and how conscientious he was, it kind of morphed into other things. Um, a little bit maybe like Cashy did his year with us, you know, when he was the bullpen coach. Ash was so, so integral in our advance reports and, and, and doing a lot of the dirty work, you know, the, some of the grunt work that nobody wants to do, and he did it willingly. And, you know, so there's, there's you know, his content is good because of his experience, and he knows the league and he knows our pitchers. And then his his ability to 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 want to do the work is is also important. I mean, he was being you know sought after by a number of teams. We did we did we did not want to lose him. That's Tribe Manager Terry Francona talking about Scott Atchison, the Indians' new bullpen coach. And stay with us when we come back. We'll hear from Atchison as he talks about getting back on the field in a full fledged coaching capacity now for the first time in his career is certainly looking forward to that and we'll hear from Atch when we come back on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network.
Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. The first of our hot stove shows of the off season now as we transition after the World Series into news and notes and keeping you up to date on everything going on with the Indians as well as Major League Baseball. And for the Tribe, Scott Atchison has been named as Indians bullpen coach. That happened earlier this week with some transitioning in the Indians coaching staff. Mickey Calloway. Former Indians pitching coach, now the manager of the Mets, Jason Beret, no longer with the ball club. He had been with or as the bullpen coach for the Indians. And uh, Scott Atchison had been working as a Major League Advance coach and staff assistant following a 17-year playing career, parts of nine seasons in the major leagues, including the final two with the Indians, as he made 93 relief appearances back in 2014 and 2015. So uh, he has been with the Indians for a while in a couple of different capacities. We had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week, and uh, Atchison talked about how excited he is to be back on the field in uniform and working as a full-fledged major league coach. I'm very excited. You know, I, I think it's it's stuff something that I thought I could handle at, at some point and would, was looking forward to hopefully getting into. And, you know, I'm thankful for the Indians after I got done playing to bring me back and, and kind of give me the opportunity to learn in the role I was in and do things and, um, and learn a lot of stuff, just sitting back kind of watching and obviously going through the advanced stuff. But I'm um, very excited to get out there and, and – be with the guys in the pen and, and really hopefully help them kind of keep rolling with what they've been doing. It, it's worked really well so far and, and kind of just keep adding on to that. And you mentioned getting that opportunity a, a couple of years ago to, to be a part of that coaching staff. Did you have a, have a hunch that you wanted to continue in the game as a coach when you were still playing, or did that, that opportunity kind of crystallize things for you after you saw what it was all about? You know, I, Honestly, towards the end of my career, yes. I, early in my career, I don't know that I thought, you know, if that was something I was going to want to do or, you know, baseball, can it's, it's time-consuming with family and different things and not being at home sometimes if you don't live in that city and those kind of things. But as I got going and, and really played for the length of time that I played for, I really started to appreciate the game even more than I already did and love the love of the game and wanting to be a part of it and, and help other people to be able to, experience and be successful at it and so this you know it it was kind of a natural I guess progression after I got done playing and and like I said kind of sitting in the pen at the end of my career watching games and and being a part of them and you know why did somebody do this or why did we do that or why didn't we or and so on when you're down there in the pen get kind of playing the game in your head a little bit you know felt like I could be pretty good at it so like I said I'm very thankful for the Indians and you know it was an easy an easy decision kind of once I was done playing. And the last two years, during the games, you're, you're not in the bullpen uh, because of your duties elsewhere. But how much interaction have you had with, with the pitchers down there, and, and how quick a learning curve do you figure it to be just based on um, what you were around from a day-to-day basis, not necessarily during the game? Well, you know, I mean, like I said, obviously I sat upstairs during the game, watched the game and, and with, uh, with Barney at the replay and that stuff. But throughout the day, you know, I was around them. I, when we were out for BP and their throwing and different things that they did on the field, bullpens and stuff, I'd, I'd follow JB and I'd follow Mickey around and, and watch and, and pay attention to the guys and watch how they handled situations and, and watch how, you know, they just kind of went about the daily routine. So I don't think that's going to be and, – and I've been a part of it and done it 
been on the other side and, and know how good coaches have, what I felt like have been good bullpen coaches have handled that kind of stuff and been a part of. As far as in the game, you know, you're down there and, and paying attention and, and keeping those guys informed of what they what they like to have. And, you know, that'll take a little learning. But I know a lot of them. I played with some of them. I sat in the pen with some of them. So it's, you know, I already kind of know them a little bit from that end. So I don't think it's going to be too hard of a transition. Um, it's just getting down there and getting comfortable and, and, you know, when the phone rings, making sure I got got them the right information that they need and we, and we get them moving so that when they go in the game, they're prepared to, to do their best. Scott Atchison joining us. He's the Indians' new bullpen coach after a, a nine-year major league playing career. And, and, Scott, you look at that and, and the role that you're going to be in now. And, and I know for you there, there were a lot of seasons where you went up and back and, and were in transition in terms of major leagues, minor leagues, and, and trying to find your way. And, and it certainly seems in a major league bullpen there are quite a few pitchers that will go through that over the course of a season. Big advantage that, that you've been through that yourself and can identify with, with what they're going to be going through? Well, I hope so. You know, I mean, I, again, it's a, definitely from past experience as a player. You know, there's there's guys that are going to have options, and, it, and it's going to happen. And sometimes you don't go you don't go down because you didn't throw well or do something. You know, and so hopefully, it can help somebody get through that if they feel like they need to talk to someone or, you know, they just need to kind of understand the situation and what's going on. You know, you you hope that. You'd start the year with seven or eight guys down there, and that's what you'd have the whole time. But we all know that's not how it works. And the season's long, and, and sometimes you're going to need a fresh arm or whatever. And, and it, unfortunately, it might be that guy. But, um, you know, those are all things that I've I've been around, I've dealt with as a player. I've, I've watched guys and how they handle it the past few years that it's happened to. And I've always told them, you know, that's a little bit of some of the stuff that I've done is just always told them, look, if you just need someone to come and, vent come vent to me i understand i get it it's not nobody wants to get sent down that's if anybody's happy to get sent down it's probably not the right guy you want around anyway so i think some of those experiences are going to help in some situations that you know arise in, in different things and throughout the pen and then i feel like i can help hopefully help guys to handle it and handle it the right way so it doesn't get them into trouble and, and they're not the guy that's called back up or something like that and the game's always evolving and changing, and, and as a major league advanced coach, I know you work with some scouting reports and, and things like that, and, and we hear so much about analytics now. Uh, how much of that do you get into, and, and what place does it have in your new role uh, for, for relievers coming into a game? How much can that help them? Well, I think, you know, I mean, in the in the past, and, and JB, I know, gave him, gave him stuff, and he had the notes, and we went over a lot of things before a series and I'm just going to try to continue that. Um, obviously having been kind of doing some of that for two years, I I'm comfortable with it. So it's not going to be something that's out of the norm and I can go and I'm going to do my stuff and, and make sure I have the notes and everything catered to work for the guys we have in the pen to make sure that they know, you know, it's kind of be a little more specific with each one where sometimes you're more general with just the whole advanced thing is this is how you can do it, but kind of try to make it a little more specific to each guy so that when they're warming up, you know, and we know who they might be coming into face, I can give them a little tidbit and something to take into the game. And so they have some confidence of where to go and how to attack that guy. It just kind of got to put a, you know, use all that and go and, and take it out there and, and give it to the guys. You don't want to give them too much. You want to make it, make it simple, make it easy and, something that they can remember very well and and when they go in there so they're confident when they're standing out there and it's like boom here i can go do this and they go do it 
so taking all that and, and working with Carl on a lot of that and continuing to work with, with Carl, just like I did with Mickey on some of that, where we're coming up with, you know, a game plan on how we want to attack that, that team for the series and, and what we want to do. And like I said, really it's a, the communication between Carl and I on that stuff is going to continue. And, and closing, uh, You've worked the last two years and, and actually played the, the last couple of years of your career for Terry Francona. Good relationship there. Tito likes to have fun, and I know that, that carries over to his coaching staff and, and uh, the good relationships there. So with that said, what was it like to, to interview with him for this job? Was, was it a little bit different in, in that regard, or, or could, could you loosen up a little bit with him? Well, I think you know there's, there's always some looseness. I've been around him now for a long time and have known Terry for a while. And, and Tito and I have a very good relationship. And, you know, it was just talking through some stuff and kind of what what he envisioned for the role and what he envisioned me being able to do in the role. And then, you know, obviously expressing my opinions on that and, and what I thought and everything. So, you know, there was the, the serious talk. And then, you know, there's always jab here or there or, you know, whatever. We make fun of me or make fun of Barney or, you know, whatever it is. And, and you know, so we we have that. And that's that's one of his – traits that's awesome i mean you just know you know when it's time to get down to work we get down to work and then you know when there's a little free time or whatever you know you you goof around a little bit but you know it's you come back to being professional and doing what you're supposed to do and having stuff done when it's supposed to be done and being ready to go every night at seven o'clock and and be prepared to go out there and have the players prepared to go out there and do what they're supposed to do well i know from hearing him earlier today talking about uh, you're being named bullpen coach. He's excited to, to have you as part of the staff out in the bullpen now, helping Carl Willis. And, uh, Atch, I know it's going to go well. Thanks so much for coming by. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Rosie. That's Indians bullpen coach Scott Atchison. Stay with us. We'll be back with more of Tribe Talk after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And the Major League Baseball season is done. As the World Series has been completed and a memorable World Series it was between the Astros and the Dodgers, a seven-game series. Game seven, from an entertainment standpoint for maybe those casual fans who uh, didn't really have a horse in the race, so to speak. Not like it was here a year ago, certainly, with a dramatic Game 7 between the Indians and Cubs. But uh, really a, an entertaining World Series. I think most fans will remember for a long, long time Games 2 and Games 5 in this year's World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers. But the Astros, World Series champions for the first time in their history which dates back to 1962. So congratulations to them. Really heading into the season for much of the first half of the season and even on into the second half until the Indians went on the 22-game win streak. The Astros had the best record in the American League and were challenging the Dodgers for the best record in all of baseball. So a team that was very good for most of the season, and they were healthy and ready to go heading into the postseason, and they played well, knocking off the Red Sox, then the Yankees in a very good series, and then they took care of the Dodgers in the World Series as well. So we wanted to get some of the flavor of their World Series championship and get some perspective from the Houston side of things what it was like not to play the Indians, something they really thought was going to happen. So we had a chance to check in with Steve Sparks, part of their radio broadcast team, the former knuckleballer who had a good major league career with several different teams. 
And when we caught up with Sparky, he was on his way back from the airport as uh, the Astros had come in on Thursday after clinching the World Series, winning Game 7 Wednesday night. And it was a short night's rest, to be sure, for him and the rest of the traveling party. And they arrived early Thursday evening back in Houston. And Steve was kind enough to join us on his drive home. And uh, we asked him what the last 24 hours had been like after the Astros had wrapped up the World Series title on Wednesday night in L.A. Well, I mean, guys... A lot of guys, including myself, didn't go to sleep last night until the wee hours of the morning. We got up. We got on the plane. Everybody's still running on adrenaline, taking pictures with the World Series trophy. Everybody, it got passed around the entire uh, cabin uh, of the flight. And just to be able to experience that, Rosie, you know when you get into the playoff situation, to be able to enjoy that with family and friends who get to travel with the team and, and just to, to – put together some memories. You know what? You don't want to forget any of this stuff. I would imagine as a player, I mean, you get so engrossed, even we do as broadcasters, in, in what's going on and being prepared for the for the game action. I can't wait to go back through my scorebook or watch a, a highlight reel of some of the things that happened in the playoffs with the Astros because, man, they went through some dogfights, Boston, then New York, and then uh, the seven-game series against Dodgers when – it seems like teams were trading blows the entire series. It was a great series, and it was a great series to call. Everybody's still on a high first world championship in Houston in 56 seasons since their inception in 62. So everybody's really, really fired up. We just picked up our luggage at the ballpark, and there was thousands and thousands of fans there all along the road from the airport to the uh, to the ballpark. There were fans on the side pulled over, taking pictures and screaming and, I can't imagine they're predicting uh, well over a million at the parade on uh, on Friday. So very excited town, obviously with Hurricane Harvey and how it galvanized, the team galvanized the community and everybody rallied around uh, both ways. I mean, it was reciprocated with the team and the, and the fans and the community. Uh, it's just a beautiful story. And you mentioned that, Stephen, and going back to that time, when Hurricane Harvey hit and, and where the Astros were in terms of their season, they, they had some ups and downs in the second half. And uh, what did you see during that time that, that seemed to pull the team together and, and maybe create that bond between the team and the city? Well, Jay, it's easy to see. I mean, what happened was the team wasn't playing well in August. Uh, a lot of disappointment in the clubhouse. The couple players just uh, voiced their displeasure that the team didn't do too much at the trade deadline and, not without trying. I mean, the front office was trying to make some moves. They just fell through at the last moment. But uh, there was disappointment. The team wasn't playing well. Hurricane Harvey hit. The team got displaced for a while. And then they land back in Houston. And the mayor, Sylvester Turner of Houston, wanted the team back, wanted people to get, be able to get, get together and come uh, to come watch the team. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people couldn't still get there because – the neighborhoods were still, I mean, you couldn't get through some of the neighborhoods still at the time that the Astros got back into town. But it was very emotional. What had happened was August 31st, two seconds before the deadline, they pulled the trigger on the Verlander trade. And that uplifted everybody's spirits. Everybody was so anxious to get home and check on loved ones and check on neighbors and friends. And uh, be, they had an off day and had a chance to get out in the community and see people and, and know that they were playing for a purpose. And that's when they got energized again. And they started to take off. Uh, I think they only lost three games of the last 22 at home when you, when you even include all the playoff runs 
that's what the, the crowd and, and, the, and the people of Houston and the fans meant to him, and, and it, it inspired them. And uh, I think that was the big turnaround, starting with the Verlander trade and then also being able to see the fans and feel the fans and playing for something just other than a baseball game. They felt like they were playing for the city, too. The World Series, I think by most accounts, as entertaining as it's been in a while, and, and last year's World Series, very entertaining, uh, although right. I think Game 7 might have kind of crystallized that uh, in the end. But, boy, if almost from start to finish, this one seemed like a beauty. Did Could you feel that uh, from a national level when you're in it and, and involved in it on a daily basis, just how exciting the games were from a national perspective, everyone saying the same thing? There was two games in particular that may have been two of the best I've seen. Two game number two and game number five in the series, where it just seemed like a a, a heavyweight fight where teams are trading blows back and forth, fall down to Kershaw four to nothing, and the team rallies back, knock him out of that ball game, and then it's just back and forth, five extra inning home runs in that game set a World Series record. But man, I. You just I have to go back and look at, at all the different things that happened and, and how many guys contributed, even on defense, for the team to get to where they they stand right now. That uh, you gotta you gotta really appreciate that a team that has so many different components, like you in Cleveland have, that can create momentum with defense, and that's what it felt like happened. And I thought the Dodgers lineup was similar to the Astros. I felt like the Astros took a step forward this year by becoming much more disciplined at the plate. And it seemed like the Dodgers matched them in that aspect and hadn't seen a team like that in a while. Boy, rarely in sports does it work out according to plan, but right. with the Astros it did. Steve, thanks so much for taking some time as, as you try back from the airport, and I know you got a, a big day on Friday with the parade. Enjoy the heck out of it, and thanks so much for coming by. Anytime, Rosie. Great to talk to you, buddy. That is Steve Sparks with some really good perspective on not only the Astros title, but how formidable an opponent the Indians were thought to have been against anybody in the postseason. And as we know, it just didn't work out this season. The Indians did not play their best baseball in the postseason and uh, certainly frustrating for everyone involved and uh, something that they will work to get back to the postseason in 2018. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we'll conclude Tribe Talk with our weekly look back at one of the great games of 2017. It was a memorable regular season, to be sure. And we'll have our Game of the Week segment next on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment of Tribe Talk from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us as we start our hot stove shows in earnest now with Major League Baseball having concluded but we'll do our best to follow all the transactions now in the postseason, and the Indians certainly right in that mix in terms of picking up options on several key players, and also they have six free agents that they will try to sign some of them and uh, fill out that roster and make sure it is a formidable roster once again, a roster that in 2017 finished with the American League's best record, 102 wins for the Tribe in 2017. So a great base to build from there for the Indians. And we mentioned 102 wins each week on Tribe Talk. We take a look back now at a great game from 2017 in our Game of the Week this week. And we started it last week with opening night in Texas. What a series that was against the Rangers. And we forward now to Game 3 of this season, a Wednesday nighter, 
at uh, the ballpark in Arlington. The Indians had taken the first two games of the regular season, and it was Cole Hamels against Danny Salazar, the pitching matchup. Well, the pitchers would throw this one out, (laughs) not fairly early, but by game's end, it turned out to be a high-scoring night in Texas. The Rangers struck early, bottom of the first inning off of Salazar. He walked Shinsu Chu and then gave up a two-run home run to Nomar Mazzara, giving Texas the early lead. But the Tribe would get to Hamels in the fourth inning, still 2-0 Rangers, top half of the fourth, two men on and two men out with Jose Ramirez at the plate. Runners in scoring position a year ago with two outs. Jose Ramirez hit 366. Trying to come through in that spot here. The pitch to him. Swung on, line drive, base hit right field. Santana scores. Being waved around is Lindor. The throw is cut off. Lindor scores. Hung up between first and second is Ramirez. Napoli chases him and tags him just before he tried to slide in at second base. So he is retired. But he knocks in the game-tying runs with a two-out, two-run single. Boy, and again, just the start of what would be a great season for Jose Ramirez. So the game is tied at two. Then in the fifth, Yandy Diaz, who had made the team out of spring training at third base with the early season entry to Jason Kipnis, he singled and scored on a Roberto Perez sack fly that put the Indians on top three to two. But in the bottom half of the fifth inning, Texas reclaimed the lead thanks to some sloppy Indians defense. Here's the pitch. Swung on, ground ball to the shortstop, Lindor. Races to the bag, didn't get there. Throws to first, and it's off the glove of Encarnacion. Into the camera bay. Lucroy scores. That ties the game, and because the ball rolled out of play, down the line comes Gallo to score the go-ahead run. So the Rangers had a 5-3 lead, and keep that play in mind. Francisco Lindor takes great pride in his defense, and you know he was steamed at making an error at a key time. So we go to the sixth inning, and as we saw so many times this season, Lindor, a dangerous hitter after a defensive miscue. The pitch. Swung on, hit high and deep to left, and way out of here. Deep into the lower deck and left. Well, Frankie Lindor gets one of those three runs back with a bomb to left, his first home run of the campaign after Lindor went deep 15 times a year ago. And the Indians now trail it 5-4. to four. So the Indians were to within one. Then in the bottom of the seventh inning, always a tough hitter on the Indians, Elvis Andrews hit another home run, and that added to what looked to be an insurance run for Texas, now a 6-4 to Rangers lead. That would be the score as we went to the top half of the ninth inning. Rangers closer Sam Dyson was on, facing Yandy Diaz and Tyler Naquin, and they started things off with a pair of singles. Jan Gomes lined out to deep right field for the first out in the inning. Then a walk to Abe Almonte loaded the bases for Carlos Santana. Now the set by Dyson. Now the 3-0 pitch. Inside, he walked him, and the Indians get a gift run and now trail it 6-5. A four-pitch walk as Yande Diaz touches home plate. So the Indians were within one. The next batter, hell, it was that man again, Francisco Lindor. And you know that fifth-inning error was still very much on his mind. 6-5 to five, Texas Indians 
with the bases loaded, one out in the ninth, and the 1-1 delivery. A swing and a drive to deep right, away, back, and gone! A grand slam down the right field line by Lindor! And the Indians have scored five in the ninth. And the Indians have climbed all over the Texas Rangers. How about that? What a meeting at home plate. And soon to be in the Indians' third base dugout. Well, you talk about making up for an early game miscue. Lindor certainly did. Indians on top 9-6, to six, and with Cody Allen having worked the first two games of the season, it was Brian Shaw on in the bottom half of the ninth inning to close out the opening series sweep. Shaw's pitch swung on a one-hopper to short. Lindor gloves it, throws it. Ball game! And for the first time since 1952, the Indians start the season with a three-game sweep over an opponent. They did it in 52 against the White Sox. They do it this week against the Texas Rangers. After the game, Terry Francona talked about his young shortstop, Francisco Lindor, and the big comeback. It doesn't matter if you're 3-0 and or 0-3 as far as how it's going to finish up come October, but that was still pretty darn impressive, Tito, to win the way you did it and with Frankie Lindor coming through. You know what? You're right. I mean, everything gets magnified early, but I'd, I'd rather get magnified in a good way than, you know, when you're struggling. Um, interesting game. You know, Frankie with the mental error short, and it really hurt us. And you could tell that it was eating at him. Even when he hit the first home run, he came back to the bench. There wasn't a lot of smiling going on. He was, you know, he knew, and that's good. And then that ninth inning, you know, Dyson was having some control. We got a couple hits, which is good. And he was having trouble finding the plate, but we didn't go out of the zone. And then probably the only way we can win it, you know, it's one of those games because you don't have Miller, you don't have Cody. And he hits that ball out, and it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, it's it's such a good feeling. And then Shaw comes in and gets him one, two, three, and I'll be done. Get on the plane and before <laughs> before they can realize what happened. So there it is, the second of our Games of the Week from 2017, and we hope you can join us throughout the offseason on Tribe Talk as we'll continue this segment up until spring training and maybe on into spring training, taking a look back at what was an outstanding regular season for the Tribe. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll join you again next week from right here at Progressive Field. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network.